0: Good morning, church. So good to see you all. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. My message today is the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, we'll read from verses 44 to 46, continuing our series on the parables. Um, Church, I came across a story here uh, about uh, two months ago, on September 3rd, it was reported that there was a couple in Yorkshire, England, and the couple was in the middle of renovating their 18th century home. And so they're digging things up in their kitchen, and they dug up the concrete and in the and the floorboards, and underneath those floorboards, they came across a tiny tin can that had rusted out, they pulled it up, and the cup... The can contained two hundred and sixty gold coins dated from sixteen ten to seventeen twenty-seven worth three hundred thousand dollars hidden away under the floorboards. And I remember reading this story and I just bought a house and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what floorboards might I dig up and start prying away? And I just have I have a connected. fireplace now and there's bricks like maybe behind like the bricks in the fireplace. So I send my kids out upstairs in the attic and Kids don't get any ideas, to so start digging up your floorboards. But we, those, those kind of stories, they, they captivate me, they captivate all of us. The discovery of hidden treasure, seeking after long-lost legendary treasures that have been buried underground or underwater. It's captured the minds of people for ages. We're, we're just captivated by connected. the idea of stumbling across riches, digging in our backyard and hearing a clink oh, what was that? What did I just hit? And digging even further and trying to find what it is. It captivates us. And, and here in our text this morning, Jesus is going to use this imagery. Jesus compares his kingdom please. to a priceless treasure, a pearl of tremendous worth. And in a few short sentences, Jesus is going to give two parables which are meant to shine a light on the immense worth and the immense value of his kingdom, and then call us to action. So we want to direct our attention now to Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 13. Read along with me in verses 44 to 46. Jesus said, "The, the, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord, and it endures forever. And Lord, would you now bless the preaching of your word and the receiving and the hearing of your word. Church, we've seen now over the past few weeks in this, in this chapter how Jesus has given parable after parable, all with a kingdom focus. The good news of the kingdom is here with the launch of Jesus' ministry, and it creates, we've seen it creates diverse responses. Not everybody responds in the same way that the kingdom is hidden and it's secret, that the kingdom is small, as small as a mustard seed, but it's going to grow and its growth will be unstoppable. And now Jesus has turned from the crowds and giving parables to the crowds. And we see in verse 36, he's, he now turns to the disciples to give them these parables. And his focus turns to the supreme value of the kingdom. And listen, we as his disciples, we, we need these parables And we need this text this morning because Emerson taught us that last week we're we're pilgrims in this world in a world full of shiny trinkets and passionate pursuits and ideologies. And we're, we're people fighting against the passions of this world and the passing pleasures of sin and suffering through trials in this life. So we need Jesus to come alongside us and remind us the truth of His kingdom. John Calvin once said, he said in commenting on this passage, we are greatly in need of such a warning for we are so captivated by the allurements of the world that eternal life fades from our view. And may that not disconnected. be disconnected. We need to be freshly captivated, not, not by the allurements of the world, but by the kingdom, and more specifically, the king of the kingdom, that living under his rule now and looking forward to eternal life with him and his (laughs) reign forever might be the joy that sustains us in this life. These parables are designed to help us to see, to help us to see this, that, that the kingdom is so valuable that it is worth every sacrifice to obtain. The kingdom is so valuable, it is worth every sacrifice to obtain. They're designed to shift our eyes to help us prefer the kingdom over this world and deny anything and everything else that would steal our allegiance to Christ and His kingdom. Now, the, the parables, these, there's these two parables, they're similar in theme, and they make this same point in different ways. And we want to dig into that here in a little bit. But disconnected. first, I want you to look through, take, put your eyes on the text again, and think about these parables. I want to make a few observations. There's a pattern here. Jesus is in the mode of beginning these parables by saying the kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And and we've learned that the kingdom is Jesus' triumphant rule and reign that will one day be seen by all at the end of all things, but is presently, right now, on display in His ministry, and it's on His display in His people when His Spirit dwells within them to help them live in obedience to the King, in submission to the King, and live out the principles of the Kingdom. And so He's now fleshing out what it looks like to find the Kingdom. That's the theme we see in in these parables, finding the Kingdom, entering the Kingdom, being saved into the Kingdom, and being part of that Kingdom. So He gives us two parables. There are some differences. We see a parable where one man finds a hidden treasure, the other is finding finds a pearl. The one focuses on maybe a lowly, modern, far, modern, lowly, middle class, whatever farmer working away and doing his thing. The other is a wealthy merchant looking and searching and seeking to find a pearl. One stumbles across the treasure, one looks and looks and and looks before finding it both are hidden in some manner one of the treasures is buried underground the other is amidst all these other pearls and here's the thing when we see parables like this even short parables like this they can create all sorts of questions in our minds you know i'm reading through and you go what's the field mean jesus what's the field mean what's What's going on with with that? And what does Jesus mean when he says we can buy the treasure and buy the pearl? And what's up with this guy who finds this treasure and unburies it? And then what's he do? He buries it again and goes, runs away, and he goes and buys the field without even telling the guy, "Hey, there's a treasure in your field." Is that even allowed? Is that illegal? Is that immoral? What he's going to do? Like, hey, I found a treasure. But I'm not going to tell anybody else. I'm going to go buy the field out from under your hands so you can't have the treasure. I'm going to hide it. So all those questions can come to our mind. But listen, here's here's the point. Jesus is going to use different people and places and situations in each of his parables to move along in the plot and to illustrate key points. But we got to be careful not to get caught up in those weeds and start asking all these questions and be curious about what does this mean and what's going on here and thinking about all this when it's really not Jesus' focus. He's just using these to move along the plot and to teach the point. It is helpful to think about the context. Farmers, farmers back then, they didn't have a, a PNC bank down the street. So if, they, if you had a treasure, you're gonna, what are you going to do? I don't want invading armies to go steal it if I put it on the shelf of my house. So I'm going to go bury it underground. Uh, that's the best thing I can do because I don't have a bank. So that's what we're seeing here. And, and this is cool. This is cool, kids. You know what the rule back then was? Finders keepers. You find a treasure, that's your treasure. You can go have that treasure. You can go buy the field and take the treasure if you want. But listen, it's just side points. A lot of this is side points. Jesus is using pictures to tell us something essential about the kingdom. So what's the main point Jesus wants us to take away? It's that losing the world, but gaining the treasure, the priceless treasure of the kingdom, and gaining Christ as king is worth everything. And it's a great bargain. And it's a joyful sacrifice. And we want to look at that. We want to think about the the sacrifice these men made to go and sell everything. But first, before we even do that, we got to look at what the treasure is and the worth of the treasure. So I'm going to walk through this text with two points. And first, I want to look at the worth of the treasure. So point number one, the priceless treasure. Before we look at the sacrifice they made, let's look at the treasure. Because we got to start here. We can focus on what they did and all the selling that they did and how they ran out and did everything, but if our primary focus is on the doing and on the selling and what they did, then we're gonna end up with just a Christian religion that's just focused on duty and the things we gotta do and no no joy, commands without no grace. Because before these guys responded in any way at all, they saw something with their eyes. They saw the great worth of the treasure and the value of the priceless pearl and that fueled their response. They were captivated by something. And it changed their life. And, and so Jesus is saying that the value of the kingdom, it far exceeds anything this world can offer. Put all the pearls they have together. Stack them all up. Put them in a grand old pile. And this one pearl of greatest value of the kingdom is worth more than it all. But Jesus, if the kingdom, if it's worth that much, if the kingdom's a treasure, why, why doesn't everyone go and find it? Why doesn't everyone go and dig up this treasure? They don't see the value. They, the world sees a list of do's and of don'ts. And they see a weak and crucified teacher. They, they see a fallible book that's just written by a bunch of men that's, that falls apart. They see a religion that's just based on primitive views on, on science on on primitive views and not on science, or they see a kingdom that that, that they think can be bought by good effort and good works that just becomes ultimately a burden. Man, every day i just got to buy this kingdom with my good works and by the doing, and they create other ideologies and priorities. C.S. Lewis wrote an article called The Three Kinds of Men that helps bring clarity to this idea, I think. He described three kinds of men. He explained that there's first a class of people who just, who just don't care about Jesus. They just disregard him. It's all just foolish. All this stuff we're doing right now, it's just foolishness. But there's a second type of people where many, so many are trapped. They, they know what Jesus commands. Maybe they read the Gospels. They read the Bible. They know what Jesus commands. And maybe they even try to follow him. but only as they see fit. Only first after they've after they secured their own happiness and their own security in something else. Because for them, following Jesus is like paying a tax. Like, I'll pay that tax, but I sure hope I have a whole lot of other things I can go pursue and live off of. I'm going to pay a little bit of the tax. I want something left over to live on. They live divided like a soldier who, who's a soldier one day out in the fields, and then he's on holiday the next, or a kid who's in school one day And then later in the day, he's doing something else. He's going playing baseball out in the street. He's living divided. They either live feeling guilty about pain attacks, about obeying Jesus, like, "Ah, I'll do it. I really don't want to have to do it. Or they feel guilty about not paying the tax. Man, I really should be doing this more. I really should be obeying Jesus more, but just not doing it enough. And their actions ultimately are guided by their desires or submissions or cultural expectations or what other people think. Or the world's priorities. Why? Because Jesus has no claim on their life. They may have come to Him because they see a ticket to heaven one day, or a good ethical code, or a good system to live by. But Jesus is not their treasure, and following Him just feels like a burden, just like a duty. And if that feels similar at all to how you live, Jesus gives us these parables as a warning and as an encouragement. Because Lewis says, Lewis goes on, C.S. Lewis goes on in his article to describe one more class of people. These are those that proclaim that for them to live is Christ. That following Jesus, it's not just, it's not limiting, it's freedom and it's joy. That all their time, all their belongings, they're His. And the price to get that is not effort, but repenting and turning in faith to desire Christ's rule in their life. But even more than that, even more than that, central to them, they see the great worth and the great beauty, the perfection of Jesus Christ, the King of the kingdom. Because if you get the kingdom, if you enter the kingdom, you get the King. They see the value of gaining Christ and that that far exceeds all else. That knowing Jesus and obeying Jesus by the power and the working of the Spirit is at the core of who they are because they have turned from allowing anything else to steal that allegiance. And that church, that's what marks true believers. And that's what marks us by His grace this morning. That He's opened our eyes. God has opened our eyes to not just dig up the treasure and say, oh, that looks great but to see that it's treasure and to see that it's tremendously valuable and it's worth everything to obtain it. And that is a work of the Spirit to open up our eyes and to see it. And, and brothers and sisters, we have that treasure. If we've trusted Jesus Christ, if we've repented of our sins and come to Him in faith, we have that pearl. We have that treasure. And, may, and church, may we continue to be a church that treasures Christ above all things. For all that we've received is from Christ. Just read Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 says, We've entered the kingdom and we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It says He adopted us as sons through Christ, that we have redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins an inheritance and the seal of the Spirit in us through Christ that guarantees our hope to the praise of His glory. Listen, the treasure of the kingdom is supremely valuable because we receive Christ, the supreme treasure. And get this, this is... This blows my mind, absolutely blows my mind, that Jesus Christ is a supreme treasure who has infinitely and eternally satisfied God the Father for for all eternity, His satisfaction, His joy. And if Christ has been all-satisfying and all-sufficient for all eternity to God the Father, then certainly He can be all-satisfying and all-sufficient to us in every situation. So listen, if, if you if you're coming this today and you, you just feel like, man, I'm just I'm at this place of spiritual boredom. I read my Bible, I just I'm just not getting much out of it. Or just I want to be a good Christian, but the responsibilities, obedience, it's just so hard. It's just burdensome to do this time and time again. What do we do? What do we do in situations like that? Because we all get into those situations in those seasons. We put our boots on, get our shovel out a backpack on, go treasure hunting. How do we do that? How do we go treasure hunting? Well, first, it's, it's coming to Jesus. And it's entering the kingdom and receiving his blessings, coming to him in faith. But more than that, Jesus tells us that the, the, the pearl of greatest price is the King of the Kingdom, so it's coming to Jesus Christ who bought and gave you those blessings. it's It's looking to Jesus and asking God to help us to see Him for the pearl that He is in our lives. John Calvin puts it this way. He says that that faith, faith is, but it's not only, it's a distant view where we have a hope ahead of us, but it's not just that. As wonderful as eternity is going to be, and hoping in that, and looking forward to that, Calvin says also that that faith is a warm embrace. A warm embrace of Christ daily, in which He dwells with us, in which we are filled with His Spirit. And and man, I wish we did, but we, we don't have the privilege of physically embracing Jesus right now, or eating with Him And sitting at the table and hearing Him laugh and teach and seeing His kindness and talking to Him. But what we do have is is the Scriptures. And the glory of Jesus has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. He's, He's in the Old Testament all throughout. He's the seed of Adam and Eve. He's the better king. He's the better prophet, the better priest. And He's all over the New Testament. We see that He's born in humility, in a stinky stable And then we see his glory revealed because he's a Savior who rose up, and then he's a Savior in action he compassionately and gently cares for all in front of him we see him teach with perfect wisdom he touches a leper he heals a paralytic lowered through the roof and the woman bleeding with the touch of his hand he he raises a dead girl he restores sight to the blind he displays his omnipotent power when he stands and he, and he calms the storm with a word his glory is revealed on every page to us And the question for us is, have you seen that glory? Do you see how wonderful this Savior is? Have you meditated? Meditated on His teachings and His ministry? And I don't mean just just read this for a few minutes or heard somebody else talk about how wonderful Scripture is and how wonderful Jesus is, but meditated on it. In the morning, when no one else is around, slowly going through the Gospels and seeing Jesus in action and seeing His glory, meditating on His wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount, meditating on His compassion when He looks around and He sees sheep without a shepherd, and meditating on that, meditating on His omnipotence and His power when He calms the storm, Meditating on his kindness when he feeds five thousand people. It's like finding a diamond and saying this is a diamond, but holding it up to the light and twisting it around and go, ah, oh, wow, look at this angle, look at this angle, look at this thing. It's all it's all the same. Saw a diamond. Saw Jesus, but saying, Wow, look at his power. Look at his compassion. Look at his wisdom. And doing this meditating, all that we might treasure Christ more. Scripture's like a big, big old ocean. We dive in. We spend our time digging. We can find that pearl, that pearl of greatest value. The scriptures reveal Christ, and that's what we need to behold. Listen, church, this is so incredible. We we don't have somebody who just stands at the front of the kingdom and says, "Yeah, come on in." Go find yourself a seat over there. You can go have, I'll talk to you maybe when I can get around to it. But you kind of go do your thing. He just kind of paid the price to open the door and to let us in. But we have a wonderful Savior who is our friend and who invites us to fellowship with him. And into a lifetime of seeing how he is supremely worthy. What a discovery it is to behold Christ to know Him, to love Him, to receive Him as our Lord and our Savior. For in Him we find salvation and we find daily strength in every situation. Puritan John Owen says it this way. He says, "It's, it's, it's by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified and built up in this world Man, yeah, I love that. I want to be spiritually edified. I want to be built up in this world. He says, For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow stronger and stronger. So when we feel weaker and weaker as we behold Christ, our faith grows stronger and stronger. Because in Christ we are spiritually edified. We find strength in our weakness we find comfort when our hearts are weary. We find guidance for our tired feet, and we are built up in this world, and our faith grows stronger and stronger. And this is a mark of the true disciple one who clings to Christ by faith, not just as a, hey, yeah, get out of jail free card, thanks, ticket to heaven, thanks for that, Lord, but as their one desire. The one who wants to go to heaven someday to feast at the table and to see loved ones that have have gone and get a new body, because we're all going to look forward to that someday, having that new body. But most importantly, they want to see Christ, their Savior, their God, their friend. Because, man, you were my friend here on earth and I spent time with you, Lord, and seeing you face to face is going to be like nothing else. So I, I love all the other things about heaven, all those blessings, but I want to see you, Jesus. I want to touch the scars and remember what you have done for me. You see, we we enter the kingdom when we repent of our sins and when we value Christ above all else. If He's just an accessory to our other priorities and pursuits, we have no assurance that we will see him face to face and so church christ christ is calling us this morning to value him for the treasure that he is above all else and that means it means clinging to something we can't see with our eyes i wish i long for that day when we can see it with our eyes but right now that treasure in some senses it's still buried it's hidden it's worth is diminished in the eyes of the world man you 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 serve a king i don't see that king i don't see a throne anywhere it's just an invisible kingdom right now but it's hidden because it lies in hope Hope for today, hope for tomorrow. It's a treasure that we hold in our fragile bodies and our feeble minds like jars of clay as we look to the things not that are seen right now, but the things that are unseen and eternal. We look up and say, I I can't see it right now, but Christ, you are on your throne right now and you are accomplishing your good purposes. Titus 2 puts it this way. Titus 2 says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. When Jesus came, the grace of God has appeared. And what's it do? It's training us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions. I love another translation. This is what we teach our kids. To say no, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, what a what a treasure that is. A treasure we experience in this, in this life through the grace of God that is poured out on us, even as we await the full glory. What a treasure that is. Okay, so we see the treasure. We value the treasure. What then? What do we go do? What do guys what did the guys in the parable do? Once they once they found the pearl and they dug up the treasure, what did they go do? What was their response? We want to look at in point number two. Point number two, joyful sacrifice. Let's look at our text again. Jesus says in verse 44 that there are some, like the farmer, who just stumble across the treasure. They're like those who might hear the gospel on the airplane, or they might hear it on the radio, or they might come to church someday, and boom, their eyes are open, and they see it, and they love it, and they enter into the kingdom. Others are like the merchant who just spend their lives searching and searching and seeking and holding up one religion and one ideology and comparing them and all these arguments and eventually becoming convinced by the working of the Spirit that Christianity is the only one that holds any water and the only one that makes sense of this world. They, like the merchant, they're looking for good, fine pearls, and what they find is something greater, something beyond their wildest dreams. And so we want to think think about the, the response of these two men once they see the treasure. It's the same. They see something supremely valuable, and immediately they go and respond. They don't go to sleep and think about it. They don't go home and type up a few Excel spreadsheets, pros and cons, and think about, okay, is this truly valuable? How much does it weigh? They don't do anything like that. They go immediately and sell everything to get it and so what made sensible men like them go and make a big impulsive buy like that like hey i'm going home just picture this going home to their wives and say hey i know we built this house and we love this house and we love all these great things but guess what i'm having a garage sale tomorrow and i'm selling it all (laughs) what (laughs) what what are you doing (laughs) what made these guys want to go and do that without even thinking about it it's it's like hey have you ever done this you go to the store and you buy something you come home and you say hey look what i bought husband wife look what i bought you say what Wow, and you didn't say you wanted that yesterday. How much did that cost? Oh, it's just 20 bucks. Man, it was half off. It was 40 yesterday. It's 20 today. I just had to have it. It's such a good deal. You know what we call that? That's an impulse buy. <laughs> we just go up and we always say that's the wisest thing to do. Just say, hey, Snickers on sale at the checkout. Yeah, get this second. Oh, yeah, like 10 more. I want them. It's a good deal. So what about these men? Because what they're doing, it's an impulse buy. I just see it right in front of me. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to go sell everything. I want this treasure. What made them go and restructure their lives and their priorities and their values to go and sell everything? The only reason they would even think about selling everything they owned and then going and justifying that to their family and to their accountants and saying, yeah, this was a good decision, is because they saw a treasure that was too wonderful to pass up. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. The only right response is, when you see the value of the kingdom, is to give up everything to gain it. Look, the focus in these parables is it's, it's it's not primarily on what's given up. It's on what we gain. It's on the treasure that we get. The joy of finding and gaining treasure far exceeds any sacrifice in this life. And remember, Jesus is talking here to his disciples. His disciples. We saw in Matthew 4, some of them left behind their father and their fishing boats to follow them. Matthew Matthew, in chapter 9 gave up a cushy job as a tax collector in a tax booth to follow Jesus. And Jesus just told them in Matthew 12, you got to love me more than your families. You got to be willing even to love me more than them. And so these are weary disciples who are faithfully following Jesus around. They haven't seen the payoff yet. Man, you, your kingdom's here. I haven't seen the payoff yet. So Jesus comes alongside them, encourages them, tells them that every sacrifice you've made for the kingdom, it's worth it. Every sacrifice they are making that we make is worth it. And it leads to one of the, the just the paradoxes of the kingdom. That we give up everything to enter it, to gain the pearl. We end up getting back more than even we gave up. We get something better than it all. That's what Jesus says later in Matthew 19 to the disciples. He says, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's the promise he gives them and he gives to us. But Jesus makes it clear that to, to enter the kingdom... We must first value it above all else and then respond by giving up everything. And that doesn't mean that you all go home, we all go home and say, all right, got to sell my house, got to sell my cat, got to sell my car, my Xbox and my Legos and all that stuff in the fridge right now, I got to sell all that food. Now Jesus' point, he gives us good gifts to enjoy. But his point is that we must prefer him above all the riches pleasures and advantages and expectations and pursuits of this world and find that our satisfaction, that our joy is in Christ and in the good news of the gospel, that we must happily set Christ on the throne of our lives and let go anything else that would seek to climb up and gain that access to the throne, that would seek to consume our passions. Maybe that means, man, I want to be respected at school and at work, And that that can consume me, pleasing other people. But I know what's more important is that I serve the Lord and live in obedience to Him. Maybe we give up our time or our food or our money to serve someone else. Maybe for some of us, we, we give up the good gift of sleep for a few more minutes so we can spend more time in the morning with the Lord or in the evening to spend extended time with Jesus. You see, this is a mindset. It's a conviction, a decision in our core that affects the very way we live. And if we aren't willing to do this, if Jesus is just one little pearl that we're trying to hold kind of with a bunch of other pearls in our hand and we're trying to juggle all these pearls around and switch back and forth, sometimes we're going to obey Jesus. Sometimes we're going to submit to what the culture wants us to do. Sometimes we're going to pursue what the world loves. Sometimes we're going to submit to sin without repenting, without ever seeking first the kingdom. That's, you're going to come up empty. You've got to give all that up to get the one pearl which is Christ reigning over all our decisions and our whole schedule and our priorities and our budget. We must hear Jesus' warning to give it all to Him. can't have it both ways. And so the question for us, for you, for me, is we ha- have we committed everything for the kingdom way? the kingdom. Would, would, and would others be able to tell that? Would others be able to say, yeah, he gets most excited, she gets most excited and most satisfied. They're going to have the most joy when they talk about the gospel and about what Jesus has done for them. This is how Paul put it in Philippians 3. Philippians 3 says this. Paul says, if, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, i have more circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying, I I had it all. I followed the law. I was from good stock, from good family. And I was zealous for good works. And I had my own righteousness so much that I didn't even need anybody else's righteousness. I was blameless, but I didn't have Christ. And I had to give up all those other fake pearls to gain Christ, because this pearl of the kingdom, receiving Christ and submitting our whole lives to him in total surrender and in total commitment, it's, it's a big pearl, it's a heavy pearl, and we've got to put down everything else to be able to hold it. So Paul sacrifices achievements and his health and a good livelihood and his life for the joy of gaining Christ and the mission of seeing the kingdom advance. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. In order. Why why Paul? Why'd you do that? In order that I may gain Christ. And you know what? For Paul and for the believer, for us, giving it all up and gaining the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, that's not loss. That's a joyful sacrifice. I love these words in verse forty four of our parable. The farmer sees the treasure and he goes home to sell everything. In his joy. He goes home in his joy. Not go home, man. I gotta sell everything. I I want it. I gotta sell everything. He goes home in his joy because he was something's captured his heart. And he's full of joy. But you say that that's great for him. And that's great for, for Paul. Man, I don't always feel joy. Some of these sacrifices don't feel like joy. Maybe you remember the joy of being saved. But the reality is we all have moments where life as a disciple of Jesus, it it can be a fight for joy and for faith. So what do we do in those moments when we say, yeah, in his joy does not mark me right now. I'm just not feeling that. We go to the gospel. We go back to the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We look again at the treasure. Because joy Joy is the mark of those who have seen the treasure and in return. Who've seen the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they come back. You remember, you remember the woman at the well? She heard the good news. Jesus is there. She hears about Jesus the Messiah. And in her joy, she goes and tells everybody else. That's the mark of someone who's seen the treasure. Because Jesus is most glorious and worthy in our eyes when we recall the gospel. When we recall how he, for the joy of of the people that he was going to redeem when he went to the cross in faithful obedience that he might give himself as a sacrifice for our sins in our place. It's where we see his incredible love for us. His incredible love for you, church. That you, and I might be reconciled to our God in a way that we could not have done and be in His presence and in the presence of the risen Christ for all eternity. And when that's our treasure, brothers and sisters, when that's our treasure, when Christ's work for us is wonderful in our eyes, the Spirit starts its work and stirs up in us unspeakable joy. It's it's unspeakable joy because we have been given a tremendous gift that we did not have to buy. It's joy in the gospel, then, that becomes the engine of every sacrifice we then have to go and make. Listen, how can we how can we gather after maybe in a hard week or however our week went? How we can how can we gather together and and smile genuinely and actually have joy? Among each other? How can we endure through a family disagreement or an online argument when we just want to say all these things and we just want to get back at somebody but holding our tongue and being patient and understanding of others? How can we turn down a job that we think, man, it would be better pay, be better for me, but it just does not line up with my convictions? It does not line up with the kingdom way. I can't go and do that and serve the king in the way he wants me to. Because even in, in our struggles and even in our sorrow, the love of Jesus is deeper still. We're captivated by the treasure we possess. Christ, our treasure, who is on his throne and all satisfied and all sufficient now and forevermore. I think of it this way. I think of it like a little boy or a little girl. Some of you little boys and little girls may have this, maybe, maybe there's a picture of you, or maybe some of you adults have a picture of you looking like this. They come up to you, and from head to toe they're covered in mud and their shirt and their pants they're just ripped up and they got bruises and scars and scratches and up to down they're just an ugly mess and they're standing in front of you and what do they do they just have a big smile on their face and they're like "Ah, look i got a frog i got a frog and i'm muddy oh yeah i don't even notice i got a frog i got what i wanted and they're just smiling, and they're beaming, and they're joyful, because he had his eyes on his treasure, his eyes on the prize, and he got it, and he holds it in his hand right then, and what's that produce? Just tremendous joy. I don't care about the hard moments that I had to face. Don't tell that boy or that girl, it was It was not worth it for you to do any of that. No, you got your treasure, you're full of joy because of it, so all that stuff you had to do, okay, that was worth it, and he's going to say, yep, that was worth it. I don't care. I didn't like those pants anyway. Rip them up. Who cares? I wanted my frog, and I got it. I love what David Livingston said. I'm going to bring us to a close here in just a bit. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, and he once said, Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this like, life may make us pause. And they may cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. (laughs) Mr. Livingston, what what do you mean? You, You left and you went to another country and risked your health. And you went right into the danger and you gave up all this other stuff, the treasures of this world. And that wasn't a sacrifice? What are you talking about? That all sounds like a sacrifice to me. You see, when we find that our hope and our strength is in Christ and what He has done and His sacrifice, I think we can say that even the sacrifices we make don't really even feel like sacrifices at all because He is mine and we are His. Church, listen, if if you're struggling right now, if if you just find yourself this morning burdened by the trials of this life, if you're here this morning, you're you're doubting God's goodness. If you're questioning whether all this is even worth it, some of the things you've had to give up to be a Christian, whether that's even worth it. If you're just tired of making sacrifices, if you're just tired with fighting sin and not giving in to it, hold fast and press on hold fast and press on every sacrifice made in the name of Jesus for the kingdom is worth it because knowing the king is worth it this this world the pursuits of this world will fade and they are temporary but what you have in Christ When you come to Christ and when He is your treasure, what you have in Christ, what the Spirit has guaranteed for you, church, cannot be taken away. That's a sure investment. And so it's a happy exchange we make to say, hey, I don't need this world. I need that treasure. I don't need that pearl. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. Because the day is coming when all will be made right. This is a sure investment. We're going to the promised land. We are going to be with Christ forevermore, and we will enjoy him forever. And even now, you say, okay, that's great one day, but even now, Christ is yours. We're just saying this, Christ is mine now forevermore. In the midst of it all, Jesus is on his throne. He is a king who lives. He's on his throne, but he lives among his people. And he reveals himself and he strengthens himself us and becomes more precious in our eyes in the midst of suffering so church let us declare we're going to sing this in a little bit let us declare take the world give me jesus all the all joys all the world's joys it's just just the name But his love abides forever through eternal years, the same. And so with our Savior watching over us, we can sing the billows roll. Church, let's press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's hear the commission now. Hear the commission from our Savior King and press on to live in this world joyfully giving of ourselves and of our time and of our money, of our possessions, our lives with a single-minded focus that Christ, Jesus Christ, might be seen by all as the supreme treasure that He is, as we await the day where we will dwell in the heavenly kingdom forever. May it be so in us, church. Pray.